All right, I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. We're going to be in Matthew 5 in just a minute, but we're going to start this morning in 1 John. This is a passage I love. I wonder if you have these passages. I remember the first time I really, like, actually read it and understood it. And now 20 plus years later, it's still doing a unique work in my heart. 1 John 2, and I'll start reading in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I'll stop there for just a second. If you were with us last week, then this should sound familiar. This is what we talked about last week, that those who are born of him are righteous as he is righteous. Those who are truly the people of God are are people who live God's way. And it's clear who belongs to God because of our lives. They show the world, the world should recognize that we're his. To use the biblical language, all those who have received the righteousness of Christ now live in righteousness. Let's keep reading. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. And that's, that's it, man. That's what stops me. What kind of love is this? Because I know who I was, and I've got an idea of who you were. What kind of love? And not only that he would recognize us or acknowledge us, but that he would call us his children. And I, I just, I picture John writing this. What kind of love? Children of God? And then he stops and says, and we are. Let's, let's keep reading. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it didn't know him. There's that righteousness thing. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Man, I just want to encourage you, take some time this afternoon, take some time this week and just, just to sit with this passage. Just let that soak in a little bit. The love that's expressed here, the hope we have. We're called as children and we're given this hope. One day we're going to see him. This isn't just fairy tale land, okay? One day we are going to see him, and when we see him, we're going to be like him. It's an incredible reality, an incredible hope. I remember the first time it, I read it and understood it, it blew me away, and now even today I continue to just be stopped by it. But here's the question we have to ask the next question 
how do we respond to that kind of love? How do we respond to have been given that kind of hope? How do we respond? Well, we get to keep reading. He says this, everyone who thus hopes in him, everyone who has this hope in him, he says, purifies himself as he's pure. And that stops me. Because if I've been loved that way, and I have that kind of hope, he says that those who have this within them, it changes us. We have a a desire for purity. We have a desire for righteousness. We have a desire to live God's way. Keep reading the chapter. He says that those who are in him don't sin. I love the way John is real blunt. If you're in him, you don't sin. Now, he also says in chapter 1, if we do sin, we have a propitiation. But he wants us to see that being the children of God changes us. He's making the point that the people of God are people who have new hearts and new desires and who should want to please him. And this is exactly what we've been seeing in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to go, you can go and turn to Matthew 5. What we've been seeing in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describing what it looks like for us to be the people of God. He's describing what that change looks like, what it does in us. This is going to be a different than normal sermon. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it, but I think it's important. (laughs) So here we go. This morning, we're not going to necessarily work through the next paragraph, but I want to try to give you an overview of the entire next section of the sermon, verses 21 to 48. It's a section that I think is ripe for misunderstanding. And I want to be sure that we enter it well. And so before we jump in head first, I want to, to kind of just see what's Jesus doing in this whole section. And then we're going to start breaking it down into smaller parts. But today is big picture day. But before we look forward, let's just let's get our bearings in the sermon I've just said, and I've told you that Jesus is telling us what it looks like to live as the people of God. The reason we started in 1 John is because I want us to recognize that John said that when we're his, we're changed. And what Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount is not that our good works earn us a relationship with God, but that good works flow out of who we are Because of what God has done. We're his children. He's changing us. And so we purify ourselves. We we do these good works. And it's an important reminder because over the last couple weeks, we've talked a lot about the law of God and the commands of God. And starting next week and for the next several weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the law of God and the commands of God. But we have to recognize what Christ is doing here. Because it's about so much more than laws and commands. It's about more than conformity to a standard of living. He's describing what flows out of us because of what God has done in our hearts. He takes sinners. He gives us new hearts. He makes us people who can live his way. And so this is the reminder that I'm probably going to be saying over and over. It's not that living God's way makes us the people of God, but that the people of God are changed to live God's way. 
That's an important distinction, isn't it? Especially as we study the law. But there's the question. Okay, we're God's people, so we're going to live God's way. It's flowing out of a heart. But what does that look like? And what we've already seen is the Sermon on the Mount. It's describing what that kind of person looks like. We, we start with the Beatitudes, this, this big overview where Jesus says, my people are poor in spirit. They, they relate to me in a certain way. They mourn over their sin. They are meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're merciful and pure and love and pursue peace. Jesus is describing what his people look like. Not so we earn his favor, but because we are his. He's describing our hearts. He goes on and he says, when we live this way, when we live as the people of God, we are salt and we are light. We stand out. And the reason it's attractive is because what Jesus is describing, it's not just adherence to rules. The world, church, the world can see right through that, right? If we're just rule people, they can see that. But what Jesus is describing here is our people who have been changed, whose hearts are different. And those kind of people, he says, are, are salt in the world and light in the world. We've been given hearts and made to love the way God loves and do you recognize how different this is from religion or just conforming to moral standards? What Jesus is describing here is different than that. And I think one of the reasons he's preaching this message when he does and where he does is because he's living among a people who are all about religion. He's living in the times of the scribes and the Pharisees, men who had taken the laws and commands of God and turned them into something they were never meant to be. They'd taken the laws of God and turned them into the system of rules and regulations. And every law was interpreted in specific ways. They built an entire system of do's and don'ts and lines and perimeters. So if you do all these things, and you don't do all those things, then righteous. But if you don't tick all the boxes and don't follow to the letter, not righteous. It's this whole system and this was the system that the people of God, the nation of Israel, were being encouraged to live by, and they were being ruled over by the scribes and the Pharisees. And here's where it gets really confusing, because it was all based on the law of God. So it's all mixed up. Something Jesus begins to reveal is how the scribes and the Pharisees had turned the law of God into something God had never intended it to be. They misused and they abused the law of God. They created this system of checkboxes that would bring someone to quote-unquote righteousness. You probably know this is true, though. That you can be a, first, a person who, who follows all the rules and who everyone around you sees as the righteous one but still have a heart that's desperately wicked, full of pride, selfishness, wrong motives. And in large part, that's the story of the religious leaders of Christ's day. Outwardly religious, outwardly heralded as the men of God, but whose hearts were far from him. Jesus comes, 
and he starts preaching a message that's different from that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The kingdom of God has come, repent and believe, be poor in spirit. That's different than the scribes and Pharisees. Mourn, be meek. And questions started to arise, and I know this is review. Does Jesus believe the law of God? Because the scribes and the Pharisees say all these things. Jesus seems to be saying something different. So we spent the past two weeks trying to answer this question about the relationship between Jesus and the Old Testament and the relationship between us, Christians, and the Old Testament. This is important. This is all laying a foundation. What we saw in verses 17 to 20 is that Jesus says, I haven't come to do away with the law. I haven't come to replace the law. In fact, he says in verse 19 that those who don't obey the commands of God are the least in the kingdom of heaven. And those who do obey and teach the commands of God are great in the kingdom of heaven. So we've got all these things we're trying to sort through, right? So we've got the law, the scribes and the Pharisees. They seem to be the men of the law. Jesus is teaching something that seems different, but Jesus is also saying, I'm a man of the law. And then he says there in verse 20, this is kind of the climax, it's an important verse, that righteousness that's based solely on outward conformity is not righteousness at all. Verse 20, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this is where we were last week. They had their system. They had their, their means of being called righteous. And he says, it's got to be better than that. Or rather, it's got to be different than that. It's got to be a righteousness that's produced from the heart. And this goes back to 1 John, doesn't it? that those who are, he's righteous, and all those who are in him live in righteousness. He says, you need something that's different than that. Something that proceeds not from the outside, but from the inside. True righteousness is from the heart. It's different than following the letter of the law. It's deeper. And that's a big part of what Jesus deals with in this next section. What we're going to see over the next few weeks is how Jesus, in specific ways, tells us the difference between being bound by the letter of the law and living as a person who understands the heart of the lawgiver. Do you get that? I think that's important. It's one thing to say, I get the law. It's another thing to say, I know the lawgiver and I understand what he's saying. I understand where he's trying to take me. With that said, in the rest of chapter 5, we're going to see as Jesus is drawing a contrast. A contrast between the outward righteousness of the Pharisees and what it looks like to truly live as the people of God. But the reason we're doing this overview message is because I've got some, some, some fear about jumping into this section. And here's why. One, if we're not careful, and if we just jump into this next section, we could begin to think that Jesus is simply trading one law for another. Right? They did it this way. You do it this way. It's different than that. Jesus has not come to create new kinds of Pharisees. This is not a sermon he's preaching about checking boxes. It's a sermon about what it looks like to have a transformed heart. 
Now, if you have your Bible open in Matthew 5 and you start scanning down through that chapter, you'll probably see, depending on your version of this, how it's laid out in your Bible, you'll probably see six different sections, starting in verse 21 through verse 48. And they probably have different headings. In, in my copy, of it, over the first section, it says anger. Over the second section, it says lust. Third, divorce. Fourth, oaths. I'm not looking forward to that week because I don't think I say oaths very well. Fifth, retaliation. And then six, loving enemies. So we've got this six sections. And if you look closely there, they're each following a similar pattern. Almost all of them start exactly like this. You have heard it said. And then Jesus refers to something the Pharisees taught. And then he makes a contrast. He says, but I say this. And we see this pattern six times. So we're going to spend several weeks walking through those six things and trying to see what Jesus has accomplished, trying to accomplish here. And, but like I said, my fear is that if we just jump in, we, we may misinterpret what Jesus is trying to, to do because it's bigger than each section individually. He's really doing something altogether. And so I want us to take what we've learned in 17 through 20, where he talks about the nature of the law and his relationship with the law and the need for righteousness, and ask the question, based on what he said there, what's he trying to accomplish when he gives us these six different scenarios? Does that make sense? I think we need to have a, a big view before we get in too deep. So let's do this. You have your Bibles open. I want to go back and read, starting in verse 17, and then I'm going to read the first of those six sections just so we have it in our minds and we can use it as we try to get an understanding of what Christ is, is doing here. Starting in verse 17, hear the word of God. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's God's word. It's important for us to make sure we understand it rightly. Chapter 5, like I said, the rest of it's divided into these six parts. 
six different themes that we hear Jesus teach on. And over the coming weeks, we are going to look at each one of them. But the goal of this morning is to help us see that while each of those paragraphs has something specific for us, that Jesus is also trying to teach a larger principle. Think of it like this. Jesus is a good teacher. He wants to make a point. Let me give you an illustration. No, let me give you six. Okay? Six illustrations, and he's, he's trying to make one big point. So we need to understand, and my hope today is to understand the big point, so then we can go into next week and go deeper and see that there's something to be learned from each individual section, but they're all supporting the, the whole. Here's the big thing. Jesus is drawing a contrast between the religion and the outward righteousness of the Pharisees and what it looks like to truly live as the people of God. Or we could say it like this. He wants us to see that God produces in his people a righteousness that actually exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They did this and considered that righteousness. But I tell you this, God will produce something deeper and different in you. That's the big idea. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning fleshing that out a little bit, and we'll divide it this way. A couple of things that Jesus is not doing here, and then a, a few things that he is doing here. First, I think this needs to be clear. In these six sections, Jesus is not correcting or replacing the Old Testament law. And this is a common misunderstanding. That Jesus contrasting the Old Testament law that apparently needs updating with a new law that's better. It's a common misunderstanding. It's easy to understand why, because he says, you have heard it said. And most of those statements that follow that, we find in the Old Testament. There's, the first two are obvious. Verse 21, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. Well, that's the sixth commandment. Verse 27, you shall not commit adultery. Well, that's the seventh commandment. So Jesus must be saying, the Old Testament said this, but I say this. But that seems at odds with this whole other section we were just in, right? We said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I uphold the law. We should keep the commands of the law. Verse 19, whoever relaxes one of the least of these and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think he's contrasting what he teaches with what the Old Testament teaches. He's not correcting or replacing the Old Testament. Instead, what he's doing is helping us see the difference between what the scribes and the Pharisees taught and what he teaches. And there's a difference. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, in some cases, restricted what the law said, allowing it to demand less so that they could be seen as righteous. And in other cases, they expanded the law, making it say more so that they can get away with more. We'll see that individually in each one of the sections. But the first thing we have to see is that this isn't an effort by Jesus to correct the Old Testament. Instead, he's correcting the things the scribes and the Pharisees taught about the law. He's contrasting true righteousness with false righteousness. 
Here's another reason I don't think that he's saying the Old Testament said this and I say this. Six times he says, you have heard it said. And this is a phrase that's unique. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus quotes the Old Testament scriptures. And every other time he says, it is written. And then he quotes the scriptures. Here and only here, he breaks from that, it is written, and says, you have heard it said. He's not taking issue with the Old Testament. He's taking issue with the way the Pharisees have taught and used the law of God. Let me just give you one example, and this is just part of next week. Verse 21. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, true, the Bible says you shall not murder. True, in other places, we have judgment for murder. But this is an example, I believe, of where the scribes and the Pharisees understood the letter of law, but not the full intent. They saw it as very black and white. You don't shed blood. You've kept the law in this area righteous. Jesus says, but I say, and notice the authority there. I say to you, and then he goes on and tells us that it's not just about not killing your brother. It's about not being angry with him. It's about being quick to reconciliation. He's not taking issue with the law of God. He's not changing the law of God. Instead, he's contrasting what the scribes and the Pharisees had taught about the law with what God has always intended the law to teach. He's not, and this is, where I, this is the reason I want to make this point. He's not telling us all the way the Old Testament fell short. He's telling us what God has always said, what God has always meant, and how the, God, the people of God have always been meant to live. I think that's an important distinction. Here's one more thing that Jesus is not doing. In this passage, Jesus is not establishing a new morality by which we earn the favor of God. I said this earlier. If we're not careful, we could think he's just trading one system of law for another. So the the scribes and the Pharisees said to do these things to earn God's favor. Do this instead. And by the way, this one's harder. Jesus is not trying to create a new kind of Pharisee. What he's doing here is helping us see the full extent of what it looks like to have a heart that has been changed. It's different than having standards to live up to. And to be clear, over the next few weeks, he's going to give us more law. He's going to push us to, to live differently. But it's all about the heart. He's calling us to be God's kind of people. The scribes and the Pharisees were just regulating moral behavior. Jesus comes and says, I've given you a new heart. And this is what it looks like to live out of that new heart. It doesn't just see the letter of law. It sees the heart of the lawgiver. Let's come from a different direction. What is Jesus doing? We've considered what he's not doing. What is he doing? Here's the first one. He's teaching that true righteousness goes beyond the letter of the law and recognizes the full intent of the law. So what we're going to see in each of these six sections is that while the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to create this system in which they could obey the letter of the law and hold others to that standard, 
they never truly saw the full intent. Let me give you an example. We've already seen it. God doesn't simply want us to avoid killing each other. It's more than that. His people are to be people who are slow to anger and quick to reconcile. This was more and deeper. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, he produces in something, us in something more, right? He changes our hearts. Here's another one. The, the Pharisees rightly said we should not commit adultery, but they missed the fullness of the law, that God's people are to strive to be pure in heart. And we're going to go through each of them over the next few weeks. Yes, it's important that we obey the law. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. But in this passage, Jesus is helping us to see that the righteousness of God, the righteousness he produces in us, goes deeper and it's richer and it's fuller. It's not just about avoiding what is evil. It's about having a heart that loves what is right. To go back to the Beatitudes, verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The people of God are a people who love what is right. See, the Pharisees were all about, I've got to do this and that. They didn't love the law. Jesus says, my people, they love what's right. So I say, my people don't just stop short of killing. They avoid a heart of anger. They're quick to reconcile. Second, and, and I admit these are similar, but in my mind there's some distinctions. He's teaching that true righteousness is a matter of the heart. True righteousness is produced from a heart that has truly been changed. What we recognize throughout the New Testament is that the scribes and the Pharisees thought they had the law figured out. They had the perfect system. If we do these things and don't do these things, then we're righteous. Remember what Paul says? We saw this last week in Philippians. He says, I had done it all. According to the, the law of the Pharisees, righteous. But whatever I counted as gain, I now count as loss. For the sake of truly knowing Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from Christ. It's a heart thing. And it doesn't come the same way that the Pharisees thought righteousness came. It's a, a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Verse 20, we see that again. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was based on manipulation of the law, and it was all outward. Yet God gives his people hearts that produce true righteousness. And this outward righteousness is something that, that Jesus, he deals with the Pharisees quite a bit on. Uh, this afternoon, after you read 1 John 2 and 3, go and read Matthew chapter 23 and just consider the words that Jesus has for the scribes and the Pharisees. It's brutal. I'm just going to give you a, a sampling. Matthew 23, starting in verse 23, Jesus says, he has this whole section of woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, 
faithfulness. This is another argument I could make for why I think that he's not contrasting the Old Testament, but he's contrasting the, um, the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes because in the law, in the Ten Commandments, we don't see mercy, justice, and faithfulness. But he's saying, you neglected the, the real extent of the law, the, the weightier matters. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Oh, that God would never have words like that for us. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. The imagery is clear, isn't it? These men who praise themselves and hold themselves up at the standard because of their outward obedience. But Jesus sees the heart. They're like dishes that look clean from one side, but the side that we actually eat off of and drink out of is filthy. So we can avoid murder and adultery and obey the letter of the law in regards to divorce and oaths, but still have hearts that are far from him. Hearts that are anything but righteous. It's significant, isn't it? Let's go back to Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Another good picture. Think of an elaborately decorated tomb. And so you're walking down the road and you think, man, that's beautiful. Look at that thing. About a rich person owns it. And you walk and you see, man, that looks great. Yeah, I'd love to be buried in something like that. But what's inside? Bones, at best. The remains of death. These men appeared to be righteous, but their hearts were wicked. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5 is helping us see the contrast between what they taught that righteousness looked like and what true righteousness from the heart looks like, what God produces in his people. It's something I'll continue to say throughout this chapter. We don't just want to become better Pharisees. We don't want to just obey the law better than they did. We want to have hearts that are changed and reflect that change. So we're going to jump into weeks of saying, live like this. But we need to hear the heart of Christ. It's not about checkboxes, friends. It's not about producing this righteousness. That's what he came and condemned. We need a different kind of righteousness. God has called us to obedience, but more than that, he's called us to be people of pure hearts, which leads to the last thing. Jesus is teaching us that true righteousness does impact the way we live. And this is just my effort not to swing too far one way or the other. It's about heart change. You will live different. 
right? He's saying it, it does produce something. We aren't living to earn God's favor, but because of what he's done, we will look different. That's why he can call us salt and light. What Jesus describes in Matthew 5 is a way of life that is distinct and different from the world around us. And this is why we started in 1 John 3. I want to read it one more time. If you know that he is righteous, if God is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Do you hear that a little bit differently now? Because the law, the, the scribes, they said they practiced righteousness, but it wasn't true. He says that everyone who practices true righteousness, they're from him. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as it is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is what happens. And then he says this in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's evident. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Church, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. They distorted the law of God and made it a law of outward conformity. But we also don't want to ignore the law of God because Jesus said that those who are his will live this way. Matthew 5 is pushing us deeper and helping us see the full intent of what God has made us to be. I want to end with, with one warning before we jump in next week and, and one point of hope. Okay, One warning and one point of hope for this section of Scripture. Here's the warning. You may be tempted to become a Pharisee, right? If we spend several weeks talking about the way God wants us to live, you might be tempted to become a Pharisee and say, well, I've not done that. I've not looked at that. I've not said that. I've not gone there. It's a temptation we need to guard against. The temptation of self-deception and pride and self-righteousness and doing good works for the sake of being seen by others. That's the warning. As we look at the law of God, we may be tempted to become Pharisees. Be on guard. Here's the hope. It's my prayer for us as we enter this part of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm praying that God would make us into the kind of people he describes in verse 6. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's the thing. When we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's so much different than trying to check the boxes of the law. A heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, I love God, I want to do what he says, I want to be his kind of person. And that means obeying the law, doesn't it? But it's different. It comes from a different place. And so my prayer for us is that we would not become Pharisees, but we'd be people who, who long and, and thirst for righteousness. I want to be God's kind of person. Would you produce that in me? Because I can't do it. My hope is that he would make us a people who love him. 
and who love his commands. That we would love what is right, have a longing for what is right, not for the sake of our own reputation like the Pharisees, but for the sake of God and his reputation. I pray that we would love not the law, but the lawgiver, and that it would change us. Let's pray together.